Are you going to be prepared for your next travel photography trip? I mean, really prepared. If you follow the five P's of travel photography, this comprehensive approach will make sure you're completely ready to have a successful trip. there, Canon friends. Welcome to the EOS Photographer Podcast. If you are learning photography using your Canon gear, you're in the right place. Here, we speak with great photographers and extract practical lessons for you. From Rebels to 5Ds, the gear you own is the gear we'll feature. Now, here's your host, Linford Morton. Hi, and welcome to episode 116 of the EOS Photographer Podcast. This is Len, and I am so glad to be back with you today. Like one of my favorite ESPN duos used to say, we're back and better than ever. So I've been gone for a few weeks, and man, I missed you guys while I was gone. I've been doing vacation with the kids and a full court press on the class and and, and, and a bunch of stuff, and I, I don't like missing episodes, so... I'm back and I'm glad to be able to share with you again today. Speaking of vacations, travel photography is a favorite of many of us photographers. Whether you're going on a workshop or vacation or a specific travel-related trip, this can be one of the best ways to create great photos for your portfolio or just to share with your friends. But it's easy to mess it up. I remember a few years ago, my wife planned a trip for us to visit Niagara Falls. Now, don't tell her this, but I was not paying attention at all through most of the planning process. Waterfall, check. I was done. Well, it turns out I wasn't just a bad husband. I was a bad photographer. When we arrived at the park, I felt like just smacking my own head. I was totally unprepared. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what I wanted to shoot when I needed to be at each location, and on and on and on. It was just embarrassing. This year, we're planning our fall vacation for the Utah parks, and you better believe I'm more involved. In fact, it made me return to my five Ps for travel photography. I discussed this in my old blog, but I went back and updated it for us today. So we'll go through all of this next. One of the elements of travel we'll discuss today is which lenses to take. Now, if you need a primer on Canon lenses, check out my ultimate guide to Canon lenses, also known affectionately as which lens should I buy next? In this free training, I explain the basic of lenses. Then I talk about Canon lenses specifically, how to tell if a lens is compatible with your camera, what do all those alphabet soup letters mean? And when should you use lenses from each category and each genre? Finally, I make some lens upgrade suggestions for common scenarios. And then, of course, what lens you should buy next. You can access it all now for free. Go to learncanon.com forward slash lenses. Scott Kelby shared a moment of honesty you don't normally hear from professional photographers. Do you know you can take better pictures, he asked. 
go somewhere interesting. He joked about this during a presentation at Photo Plus Expo. And then he put up a photo of a spectacular sunset. You see this photo, he said. I just showed up and pressed the button. Of course, Scott is simplifying his role quite a bit. He's right that travel photography is a great way to create photographs, but it requires more than just showing up and pushing the button. So follow these five P's for great travel photographs and great travel photography experiences. All right, so let's talk about the five P's of travel photography. Now, the five P's represent five stages of travel photography. If you are planning and going out and taking great pictures of a location and you want to make sure that you do it right and you get great images and you make the most out of the place you are going to photograph, you'll want to think about all five of these. The first one is planning. The second one is producing or shooting. Uh, the third one is people relations. And then the fourth one is, of course, post-production. And then the fifth one is presentation. So that's planning, producing, or shooting, which is not a P, people relations, post-production, and then presentation. So the first P is for planning. And we'll spend a good bit of time on this one because believe it or not, to get a good travel photography experience, it requires planning. And of course, I learned that when I arrived at Niagara Falls, totally unprepared. But that won't happen to you, right? Because we're going to go through all of these steps. Now, the first one is the one we laughed about with Scott in the intro, choose somewhere interesting. And and it's it's funny because this seems like a duh like you ought to ought to just know this and but when when I'm walking around on the show floor and I am watching all these great travel photographers do all of their presentations and you know it's it's never the parking lot behind Wendy's in wherever. New Jersey, nothing wrong with New Jersey. I live here, but I'm I'm saying they all go. They all are showing these exotic locations, really interesting and fun exotic locations. When I worked for Canon and we did our 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 workshops, our destination workshops, we chose great locations to go to, and these were just mini travel photography experiences, and we tra- we chose these locations that. It's a bucket list kind of experience. And so what you want to do is think about where you might go and and what you might want to see. Now, it depends on what kinds of photography you want to do. Do you like national parks? Do you like urban areas? Do you like, uh, you know, going like the Caribbean? I mean, there's, there's so many ways you can interpret that, but it depends on you and, you know, what do you want? Do you want to go to Antarctica or you want to go on a, into the jungle? You know, what do you want to see? And, but, but make it interesting. And a lot of what makes things interesting is something that you're interested in. Right, but the fact that you're interested in it means you see it in a way that's interesting to you, and you have a better chance of portraying it that way. So choose somewhere interesting. Now, before we leave this, I want to say that 
interesting can be your backyard. Right? So for travel photography, you don't always have to get in a plane and fly around the to the other side of the globe. You can do great travel photography right in your own neighborhood. You've got to learn to see it like an outsider and think about what an outsider might find interesting, but you can do it right at home. So number one, choose something interesting. And then number two is do some research to see what other photographers have created there. So once you find your ideal location, it's easy then to go into Instagram or one of the other platforms where people share images and look for that location. Once upon a time, Flickr was a mandatory search for me before I went anywhere. Um, not so much these days, but it's still, even the pictures, even though the pictures might be old, it can still be interesting and informative. So you do some research and in the, on the location you're going to see. Now I'm looking for two to a couple things when I do that. I'm looking to see what other photographers have done, not so much because I want to go and replicate and shoot the same thing because if you come back with the same picture that everybody else has photographed, you know, then it's kind of yawn worthy. So I'm looking to see a couple things. I'm looking to see where I should go. Like what are the what are the 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 sites and the locations that I I absolutely have to stop and see. What are the must-haves? Like if I came back from New Orleans and I did not have, you know, the big cathedral shot, okay, it's it's corny, but it's one of those you check the box. You want to check the box and get that, right? So like if you are in a city, what are the must-have shots that I just want to make sure I get and check the box? And then I want to see how other people have covered it. One, so I can see, you know, okay, what's the, you know, the interesting way of looking at it? And then, and then I, then I try to sort of throw that out and go, okay, so that's how everyone else has done it. I need to go and find a new way of looking at it. But I, but I, I can't find the new way if I don't know what the old way is. And so I look to see what everybody else has done and go, okay, everybody else is standing straight on and they're there at six in the morning and they're looking and the shadows are there. Okay. I got it. And now I, when I arrive, I go, okay, what can I do differently? So, so that's part of the research to see what other people have done. One, to see what you ought to be shooting as a, as a, you know, gotta have it shot. And then two, to see what not to shoot because you want to shoot something that's a little different. Now, also in, in, and while I'm thinking about it, in addition to looking online, you can get some cool classes. Like I know on Kelby One, Rick Salmon has a number of classes that talk about specific locations. When I was going to Yellowstone, I looked at his class on Yellowstone just to get some ideas about, you know, what people do there and what the what the must-have shots are, just as I am for my next vacation when we're going out to the Utah parks. I've uh, He has a class on that that I took a look at. Uh, so if you're a Kelby One member, that's a good resource. Um, find some of those classes if they exist for a location you are going to. So you, you, you're looking to see what other people have created and where they think you must go. All right, the next thing you want to do is check the light. 
And you know, as photographers, we live and die by the light. And the last thing you want to do is show up at this iconic location when the light is behind it or in the wrong place or not on it. And you are just, you're there, but you are there in the wrong place at the wrong time. And you just, you missed the, the, the shot with the most impact because you don't know when the light's going to be perfect on it. So you want to check the light and, and, and you, there are a couple things you can use tools you can use for that. The photographer's ephemeris is one that I have that I, I really like. And what you can do with that one is find just about any spot on the globe. And with that app, you can then choose any date and then that date and the spot on the globe, you can see where the sun will be at any time during that day. And, and on the on the app, on the iPad version of it, you can actually slide this slider and actually see the sun as it moves across and, you know, across the sky and where it will be from sunrise to sunset, where moonrise is going to be. All kind, you know, that's good stuff. That's helpful. When I you know, did some of architectural photography, I would also use that as well to know where the sun would be when I was planning on shooting. But it's it's a great tool so that you don't show up at the wrong time for the ideal light. So uh, photographers ephemeris, I will have links to these in the show notes if you want to actually um, check them out for yourself. Now, another one which gets really great reviews, um, I haven't used it uh, myself personally, but Photo Pills is another. It will do the sun rise, the sunset, and the moon, and quite a few other things from what I remember. But of course, of course I haven't used it but check it out it from what i understand a lot of a lot it's great it's a great tool and a lot of photographers swear by it so check out photo pills again the links will be in the show notes now the other thing i'll say is the, the other step is to look up the local laws now you know this is something you might not think about but it can keep you out of trouble now i had a friend um this was a while back and he was in another country taking pictures. And as he's shooting, he got approached by the police. And they said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm just walking around taking pictures. I'm a photographer. I do this for, you know, he was a, a hobbyist. And they said, well, let's see, let us see your camera. And they detained him. And the reason this was he shot something, he photographed something he wasn't supposed to photograph in that country. There was some secret building or something that he was telling me that he photographed that he didn't know what it was. He just was pointing his camera at things he thought looked interesting. And the police descended on him, took him you know, down to their station, detained him for a while, looked at his images, you know, wanted to check him out. But so, you, you know, you can save yourself a lot of trouble if you know what the laws are and the customs. And I have a, I had a client who was doing street photography in another country where the laws aren't as liberal as they are for us in the United States. And so he was out shooting and then uh, some, some of the people he was photographing, they called the police and the police again came and demanded that he delete all the images from his camera. 
So, and then of course, if you're in another country, it's really good practice to do what the police tell you, this country too, for that matter. So, yeah, so you can get into, uh, you know, uh, uh, you can save yourself a lot of headache. And when I talked with Rick Salmon a few episodes back, he talked about an experience he had when he was uh, photographing and uh, and all, and it, had he not looked up the customs for the ceremony he was photographing, he might have walked onto what was holy ground for the locals. And then that would have been, you know, taboo, a big embarrassment. But he knew better because he had taken the time to, to look up the local laws and find out what the do's and don'ts are for, for that country. So look up the local laws. Now, the next tip is to Create shot lists. You, you, you have a good idea of where you want to go, and you have a, a good idea of the images you want to capture, but it's a, you know, you ought to still create some lists. And, and you create lists for the same reason you do when you are a working photographer. You want to make sure you don't miss anything. If the, you are on the bucket list trip of your dreams, and you get excited and because you're excited and you're in the moment and you forget about one of the, the shots you wanted to get and you just can't go back there. So you don't want to make sure you want to make sure you don't miss anything. So you plan out all the shots you want and you may you make a shot list and depending on you know how you work you could put this in any one of a million reminder or to do apps or there was actually a shot list app i used to use back in the day but it's no longer around but i don't need it because i use asana as my project management tool and i just create a project there and so the Asana projects now become my shot lists. And, and so you can use this with just about any tool. I know the, the iPhone has a reminders uh, app built into it where you can create lists there. It, 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 it's so easy to do. If you like paper, do use that. I, I hate paper. So I, I always look for something I know that it will be in my phone and my phone is always with me. So I can just check them off as I go along. And that way you make sure that you come back with everything you intended to shoot. Now, one of the things, and I'm going to go back to reference the conversation I had with Rick Salmon again, because one of the things he did, he, he talked about doing, was going back at the end of the day and going through all of his images. And so he can, I guess, I would say then I'm, I'm going to sort of in, sort of interpret that to mean you're working that against your checklist to make sure you got all the shots you intended to get. Not only did, can you check off that you shot them, but you want to check off that they're good, <laughs> you know, that they're going to be useful. They're good. They're sharp. They're in focus. They're useful. So th there can be another level of that checklist. Check them off as you shoot them. And that night you check them off as they're good to go. So Make checklists. That's a very important step. Now, the next is your, actual, is your actual packing and your packing list. And there are two different philosophies. And, you know, for, for, for all the king's horses and all the king's men, I can never get this right. So are you going to pack light and just go with just enough? Or are you going to pack and take everything to cover every eventuality. Well, of course, if you're going for that bucket list to trip, you might want to pack and make sure that you have enough stuff 
to make sure that you will come back with something. If somebody's paying you to shoot, you want to make sure that you pack with enough gear to make sure that you ensure you get the shot. No excuses. But there are times when you say, you know, I might pack light because I'm going somewhere where, you know, it's possible I might go there again. I'm going there and I'm in more in vacation mode with the family. And uh, I, I intend to be light and walking around most of the time rather than going some, you know, getting up and setting up a tripod and standing around for hours waiting for the perfect light um, while the family's out having fun. So, it, you know, it, this is a more of a philosophy thing. I always tell myself I'm going to pack light and then I end up packing heavy because I don't want to, in, in, again, be caught. So I say, oh, I'm going to pack light. I'm going to take one camera body. And then I say, eh, and then you, I end up taking, so I end up taking a DSLR and it, it was always my 5D Mark IV for the longest time. And then the EOS R has replaced that. And then... I will, if I don't have a second DSLR body, I'll use one of like the M series cameras. So like the, it used to be the M50. I got myself an M5. I take that along as well. And so, you know, these are light and they're pocketable and they, they produce pretty decent images. So even though you are walking around, you can still, you know, get something that's respectable with these cameras. I, I used to also have the, the G1X mark three and that that is a, a point and shoot camera but it is it it, it 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 gave me really great images i was really happy with it and use that a lot for walk around so so the the packing light usually involves for me at least one camera body and another lighter camera that i can use for walking around after dinner or god forbid backup if something happens to my camera and then for lenses, I usually have when I'm packing light, um, two at least two lenses. And my philosophy for this is I want at least one telephoto and one fast prime. I talk about this in the complete guide to um, lenses. It, it, that philosophy is I've got a, a a, a zoom lens that I can use as I'm walking around to pick off details things that are far away, I can isolate them, I can pick out my details, and then I have a, a wider angle um, fast prime, like a 35-1-4, 35-1-8, I can use that for my, what I call my establishing shot, says where I am, but it's also fast so that if I, I'm inside, for instance, like a um, a cathedral or museum or somewhere where you can't use any flash or flash photography, but I, it's going to be fast enough so that I can be handheld and still get a good, clean image. So, you know, that's the way I think about it. You have to decide what works for you. But I usually look for a mid to a long telephoto and then a fast prime. When I'm thinking about the telephoto, it and I usually am thinking 70 to 200. The F4 for Canon is a good light um uh, telephoto lens that you can, you know, throw into a bag and still not feel weighed down. The 2.8, of course, is the creme de la creme, but it is heavy and you will feel it when you pack it. So I, I'd say like the 70 to 200 F4 is a great um, lens for if you want to travel light. If you're in the mode of, I got to get the shot and there are no excuses, then of course you want to pack 
two camera bodies, two DSLR bodies, so, so that you have a, a proper backup, as they say. And then you probably want a, a, you know, a, a more, depending on what you're shooting, a more diverse set of lenses. You know, most, a lot of times when you're doing things like landscape and, and travel in cities, a good extra wide zoom is good. The 16 to 35 is a favorite for that kind of work. And uh, the 24 to 70 is a good workhorse for event, but it, you know, it, it, it's, um, you know, it's every day. It's closest to what the eye sees, so you won't get anything particularly dramatic with it. I'd go with the 70 to 200 f2.8, the faster lens now, if I'm, you know, really in, in serious mode, or the 100 to 400 lens. Now, that gives you a little more reach, and that can be a really good lens for for our travel workshops. We we gave that one a good workout when we were, you know, doing our workshops, a 100 to 400, and then either a 1.4 or 2X extender with that just to give you just a little more room if you wanted to go crazy. But but that is a good lens for, for um, if you're doing travel. And then a 16 to 35 is good at the other end. So you've got the two, you know, ends of the focal length now where you get the extreme and the extreme is where you get the, the, the drama and the, the, the creativity and the, the interest. And of course, you want to, you want to pack some primes in there. I, I, I like my 100 millimeter because it can do portraits as well as, of course, it is a macro. And that macro is great for, for the so detail shots and really isolating um, things. So love the 100 ma- millimeter. And I, and I like the 85 too. So see what happens. See what happens to me. I'm putting all these lenses in and now the bag is bulging and I've got just too much stuff in there. Well, so, but you get it. So you want to think about the, the images you want to capture on this uh, trip and then then the the lens that the lenses that correlate to the images you want to make. So anyway, think about that, and then you want to create your packing list bef- long before you travel, just to make sure you don't miss anything. So you know the accessories you're going to want to have your tripod, uh, you're going to want your filters, your UV and your your ultraviolet and your your ND filter, neutral density filter. You want to have a lens cleaning kit just in case um, you need to, you know, clean the lenses and the camera, some pressurized air to blow dirt off of the barrel of the lens, not do not put it inside of the the camera and uh, your cable release so that if if in case you want to do some long exposure and I would hope you would want to to get out there at night at least once or twice wherever you are and find some fun long exposure opportunities and uh, you know a bunch of memory cards you don't want to have a long vacation on the one same memory card because you know that is one point of failure and you want to at least break it up if unless you're going to be downloading and uploading it into the cloud while you're on vacation so that you start your backup process I would break up the card, you know, into a series of cards so that everything isn't on the same card. And then a card card reader, of course, some rain protection and then a flashlight for that night photography. Just a few of the things that you probably want to make sure you have um, extra batteries and your battery charger for your camera. And of course, you want to make sure you have 
your camera's manual with you for the, the camera and the lenses and any speed lights you have. So make sure you have all of that stuff tucked away and in a way that you can carry it on with you. Now, a long time ago, when I was a lad, early in my career, I was out shooting for the company I worked for, and I packed my camera bag, and I checked it. Let's all just shudder for a moment, because I didn't think there would be a problem. So I checked this bag with my camera. I I, I was going through to four cities shooting, and we had finished two of the cities, and we're going to the third one. And I'm sitting there and waiting for the bag to come come out of the uh, the belt. And when it came around out of the belt, I picked it up and I thought, boy, this bag feels light. And then I looked down and it was wide open. And that's right, you guessed it, the camera was gone, along with all the images I shot of the last two locations the company paid to send me to. So then there's that, you know, I, I lost all my work because I wasn't backing up back then either. I've grown since. <laughs> but anyway, the point is you don't want to check anything that's important to you. If you have too much to check, now then you might just ship it directly to your location. Uh, we would do that all the time as well. Can we just ship everything where into the hotel where we're going to be staying and just pick it up once we got there? And I do that when I travel, when I do my when I'm on vacation as well, just send everything to the hotel with insurance and then and and send it so that it arrives at least a day before you expect to be there. Because if something happens, God forbid, and this happened to me as well, boy, do I have the horror stories where you send it to arrive on the day that you arrive and the day you need to to, to start working. And if there's a, a flood or a hurricane or something that, that throws FedEx off and it doesn't arrive on time, you are sitting there twiddling your thumbs and that is not a good feeling. So you want to ship it to your hotel or the place where you're staying, ship it to arrive at least one to two days before you plan to get there so somebody can hold it. So the other thing I'll do, and I've done this before, is ship it to the a FedEx that is close by. You know, the FedEx that used to be Kinko's where you can go in and make copies and all that good stuff. Now, you can ship packages there and they will hold it for you and not release it until you can come and show your ID. And, you know, depending on where you're going, that might be a safer alternative. I just ship it to a FedEx that's close by and then go by and pick it up. And then when you're done, you can drop it off at that same FedEx and boom, you know, dust your hands off, you are done. So, so that's the other thing you want to, you want to do is make sure you pack it, make sure you carry, you only carry on, you only take with you onto the plane, the things that you can carry on with you onto the plane. And then when you're on the plane, you want to put it on the overhead contain, the overhead that is opposite your aisle, meaning where you can see it and keep your eyes on it. You know, I'm not sure if you've seen some of the horror stories. Now, this one wasn't mine, but this was someone else. They put it right above their heads. And while they're waiting to to deplane, someone can just reach up there, take it and walk off. And you don't know because you can't see it. And if you're, in, you know, God forbid, in the window seat and you finally get around and look up there and look, no camera not a good feeling. So put it on the other side where you can keep your eyes on it 
or, you know, under the seat in front of you, wherever it is, put it where you can keep your eyes on it and then grab it and as you can leave with it. So that is packing, a whole lot to consider there in packing. And then the last tip in this planning segment is practice. Now, I interviewed uh, a travel photographer, Mike Randolph, um, back in the last podcast, and he talked about this quite a bit. And and it, it's a great idea that we sometimes overlook. You want to practice the kind of photography you're going to be doing on your vacation to make sure that you are good at it, to make sure you know where to find the, the correct settings on your camera so that you know what you're going to be doing and you can move with confidence. I remember we took a workshop down to Fossil Rim, which is um, a, a preserve in Texas. And it looks just like, you know, a a mini, like it's supposed to be pretending like you're on a mini safari. The cool thing is if you are going on a safari, that's a good place to practice for the kinds of situations you will encounter. Photographing animals, you know, driving around in a Jeep or just waiting for the correct, for the great opportunity. So, so, so that's an example of practicing. Uh, you want to get out and try and get as close as possible to the situations you'll find yourself in and make sure that you are comfortable with your camera and with your settings and, and warmed up and, and knowing how to shoot so that when you get there, you are ready to go. All right. So don't forget to practice. And by all means, don't go on a vacation with a brand new camera body that you don't know because you'll just frustrate yourself um, to no end because now you are spending all your time trying to figure out this camera rather than enjoying and shooting where you are. So that's it for planning. Remember I told you this would be a good bit of, of our conversation? Well, there you have it. Now, number two is producing. And yeah, it, it's a fake P word because I'm really talking about shooting, but I had to get my five P's in there. So we're talking about producing and, and basically I'm, I'm talking about working your shot list. You are, you are going now out to the location that you have spec'd out at the time you know the light's perfect and you know the shots you want to get and now you're working them but while as you're shooting don't be so you know hewed to that shot list that you don't look around and see what else is there don't be so hewed to that shot list that you don't look around and see what else is there some of the best shots are the ones that you could not anticipate or predict and you just have to keep your eyes open and your wits about you and be looking around and and be ready to react when something happens so keep your eyes open work the shot list but just look for the slices of life around you so that you can also capture what might be a unique experience a moment that is that no one else will get because you happen to be there at the right place in the right time. Now, speaking of keeping your eyes open, turn around. <laughs> you know, that's another tip. When you come to the iconic spot and everyone is looking in the same direction, you know, turn around, look, see what's behind you, see what's behind it. Sometimes you get the fun stuff by by not looking where everyone else is looking, but looking in the opposite direction. So again, this is more like keep aware. 
um, of 360 degrees, what's going on around you. So as you make images, you can make sure you've got great coverage. Now, I use, uh, here's an acronym that I use to make sure you get complete coverage, EASD. The E is when I arrive, I'm looking for my establishing shot. This is the one shot that tells everybody where I am. It's the postcard shot. In, in my workshops, I used to call it the Brady House shot. Because if you know in sitcoms like the Brady Bunch, the first scene of every episode is always the house, the outside, because it establishes where you are. And so this is what you this is when you're going to want to check off and say you have it because it will give context to everything else you shoot. So you want to get that establishing shot. And then I'm looking at, I'm trying to be a little more creative. I'm looking at extreme angles. I'm putting the, the camera on the ground. I'm looking, you know, if I can shoot over something. I, I am looking for, you know, how do I get an angle that nobody has thought about getting? Something that is opposite of what people would expect. So, so that is fun for the creative shot. And then I'm thinking about, the details. So this is when I'm going in and I'm picking out little details that tell stories, slice of life. And I'm looking at, okay, what, you know, what's this, what's that? I'm just looking at little things that I can just fill the frame with and give me some details. And then the final thing is I'm looking at the storytelling. I'm backing out from all that and going, what's the story here that I want to leave with to make sure that I can, you know, with maybe one image or a series of images, move people through that progression. What's the story here? And and usually the story is in action and reaction for me. I'm looking around to say, what are people doing? And and, and, and where's the action? And a lot of times the story's in the action and at the height of the action is where I find storytelling, but also the height of the emotion as well. What are people doing and what are they feeling? I'm looking for action. I'm looking for emotion. And at the height of the action, at the height of the emotion, I probably have some good storytelling opportunities. So I'm looking for story as well. I'm looking for an establishing shot. I'm looking for creative angles. I'm picking out details. I'm looking for a story. Now, if that's too prescriptive for you, I, I, I tell people just to do a six-shooter approach, meaning at every subject, look for six very different and unique ways to photograph it. And, and that makes, and what you do, what you're trying to do is make sure that you don't walk up to it, shoot the one obvious shot and walk off and have nothing interesting. So if you make yourself shoot six to seven different, very different approaches, it gets you out of the rut. And now you start to look for what might be more interesting approaches to it and more non-traditional ways of seeing things. This is how you begin to see more creatively. You force yourself to keep looking. So the six-shooter approach is another way to to do that. And then finally, in in your producing or shooting, I, I would I would stress the situational awareness and safety. You always, while you're shooting, you don't I know we can get wrapped up in shooting and we get so excited that we 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 lose sense of time and place. And I'm gonna say you want to keep your wits about you and always know where you are. Situational awareness is a term we used to use in the military, which means always know exactly where you are and what's around you and what's going on. You don't want to be so wrapped up that you don't know, you know, you know, who, who just walked up behind you and who's milling near your camera bag. You want to always be alert. You know, for me, it's, it's I don't, I never use the, the camera straps that 
come with the camera bodies. I, I know they want me to advertise that I have a brand new, you know, 5D Mark IV, but I don't think I want to do that when I'm traveling because, because you know, people just know it's a camera. They don't need to know that it costs, you know, three grand or, you know, if you have one that is even more expensive than that, you know, no one needs to know that, you know. We all have computers in our hands. They can look, read, and go, oh, look, you know, 1DX Mark II, ooh, and Google and six grand, huh? And next, now you have a best friend following you around. You don't want that. You, when you get to a place you don't know, you might check with the concierge and say, you know, is there any place I shouldn't be going around here? Because they'll let you know, you know, if you want to walk around, here is a nice area to walk, but don't stray beyond, you know, this area because um, it's, you know, it's not the, the best experience for tourists or people who are visiting. So, keep your wits about you, um, know where you're supposed to be, always know you where you are, know your way back to the hotel, always find a plot your way back. Now, with our maps on our phones, it will take us back. So, it's, you know, this was probably a bigger deal back in the day when before we had that, but it's still good to know as you're wandering around, you know, which direction is the hotel. Now, when you travel internationally, um, one of the things they always told us when we were in the military was always know where your embassy is. You know, if you're in another country, know where the closest closest to U.S. embassy is, because if you ever get any trouble, that's where you want to go. Because, you know, now you're back on your own country's soil for all intents and purposes. You want to know where the embassy is. You know how to get there. If something happens and there's an incident, that's where you're heading. And and the other thing is, you in, in some smaller countries, you might want to call the embassy and let them know that you're in country. I'm a citizen and I'm here on vacation until this date. Because again, if something happens, and I hate to say this, but we're in the age when terrorism, you know, terrorism is a real thing and, and stuff happens. And they want to know how many of their citizens are in country and need to be evacuated. You want them to have your name and your information. So, you know, know your embassy and, and make sure that they know you're there and, and then check the CIA um, country. Uh, you know, alerts and warning list for countries where there is potential problems. I mean, you should know these countries anyway, but but check the list and make sure, you know, you're not going anywhere there's trouble. I know it might seem like a great idea to go to the mountains of Afghanistan to take pictures, but it's probably not a safe one. So again, know where it's safe to go and um, read and heed is one of my bosses used to always say. So next, the next piece, people relations. And you want to not just go and shoot sterile images without people. It will inform your images. It will give them life. And people will also give you information. They'll tell you about what you're looking at and help you get better context. They'll tell you where other photo ops might be that you might not have found in your research. Oh, you, everybody shoots that, but you got to go down the street a block and a half. You'll see a really spectacular view. This is the kind of stuff you get from people when you just stop and go, Hey, how's it going? You know, do you live here? How long have you been here? And, and you can just make friends and it will make that travel experience. I feel so much richer. Now, the other thing about 
it, I, I do street portraits. So in addition to making friends with them, I also ask if I can photograph them because I want to come back with some images of people because they tell you a whole lot about where you are, about so you know who they are, and you know what kind of climate they're in, and their socioeconomic status. You can learn so much just by seeing the people. So I go out and I try and meet people and see if I can take photographs of them. Now, when you are meeting people and you are uh, photographing strangers, you know my advice is always to you know, be friendly. You're approaching them person to person first, and photographer to subject second meaning you put the camera down at your side you walk up you say hello and you greet and you greet them and you talk to them like you're just meeting someone a friend for the first time and get to know them and then you can introduce the camera and uh, tell them what you're doing and maybe ask them to indulge you with a photograph that you can e even share with them but i found that if you approach person to person first and and just connect with them one of my buddies always says it's better to click with people first before you click with your camera and and it is so true so when you're there Take some time to meet somebody, to talk to them, to make a friend, to get to know who they are, and then maybe they'll help you participate in creating a great image of them that re reflects who they are and what their life is like. The next P is post-production. I'm, I'm not talking about, I'm not getting into a whole lot of, of editing and Photoshop and, and, and Lightroom and all of that stuff. I'm assuming you will do some of that and there are lots of places you can learn there, but I, but I will say, I'm talking about culling your images because you're going to come back with a ton of pictures and, and I'm going to tell you something and, and, and I, I, I have to give you some, some, some tough love here. Nobody wants to see all of them. Nobody wants to see all your pictures. Nobody wants to see 50 of your favorite images of one location. I'm sorry. Not even your mother wants to see this. You do the hard work of now going through and breaking this down and bringing out just your best. And, and the cool thing about it is you can't have 50 bests from one location. You're not going to have 50 bests. You're not going to have 30 bests. You're going to have one or two great ones and 28 meh, mediocre. And then guess what? Everyone's going to judge you on the 28 mediocre ones because you buried them in a sea of mediocrity rather than just showing the one or two really stellar images. So do the hard work. You know, this means like of from every scene, you don't, you, you know, you need one. You don't need three of, you know, images where it's like, you know, very similar, all three of them, you know, just pick the best one. So make sure you do the hard work and, and uh, now cull down your images and, and look for ways to now group them, whether it's thematically or chronologically or however you decide to tell the story. You want to look for those kinds of opportunities and use them to, to show your best images and tell really compelling stories. And now number five, because this sort of dovetails into that, is presentation. Show and share your work. I, I get ragged on because I bring back lots of images and I never, ever post them. And my friends are like, well, why don't you ever share your images? And I said, ah, I haven't gotten around to it. But, you know, I, I'm being a hypocrite here, so I'm trying to do better and I'm trying to post from every location I go to now. And, and so you want to also do this because at the end of the day, 
this is what we do it for, to actually, you know, share with the world our gift and our talent. So look for ways to show or share your work. You can make prints. Try and make at least one really nice print that you can frame and mat and, and hang somewhere in your home or give, give as a gift to someone who's meaningful to you. You know, that, that, that's such a cool thing. You know, we would always do at least one print at each workshop, one professional print. And, you know, I have, you know, a couple of them hang in my home and I, I might not have thought about that one. That's not something I would think about naturally, but it, it makes such a, a difference. And it's, it's, it's really a great way to remember your visit. And then you can create books. You have, you can create these photo books. Now, once upon a time, the coffee table book was something that was, you know, reserved for publishers. Now we can all create one from just about any trip we do and give them to people as gifts. You know, in addition to keeping them for yourself, my sister, when we did our big family vacation, she would create a book with pictures from everyone and then create one big book and then give it to each of us as gifts. I, you know, 10, 15 years later, I still have these books. So, you know, it's a great way to remember and a, a great way to provide a gift. So show and share your work. Of course, online is another, you know, everyone is sharing online now. You can put them in your blog and your social media and, uh, Oh my goodness, the Adobe Spark is a great tool for that. I see Scott Kelby always uses Adobe Spark when he comes back from a trip and it's just, it's a really a tremendous way to show your work. So uh, that's another great tool as well. So there you have it, your five P's and you can use all of these. You can see how this is thorough enough that if you use all five, if you plan um, correctly and diligently. And if you're, you're producing with intention and then you are making sure you, you meet people and you include them in, in your work. And then in your post-production, you are making sure that you call and share your best. And then you present again in a way that is memorable. Oh my goodness. You will have a tremendous travel photography product as well as experience. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of EOS Photographer Podcast. These are so much fun for me, but it's even more fun that I know that you are here and part of this community. Now, the fun continues next week. We're back on schedule. And, you know, I mentioned Scott Kelby in my example in the intro. Well, Scott Kelby is with us next week, and I'll be sharing my conversation with him. We talk sports, actually. So, you know, the funny thing is there's so much you can talk with Scott about, but we decided to focus in on sports since he's a big sports fan, as am I, and it's just a great conversation. We have lots of fun. Tuesday next week, uh, come on back and check it out, all right? Hey, if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe. You go to eosphotographer.com forward slash subscribe, and you'll see options there for everything from Apple Podcasts to Stitcher to, to just signing up so that you can get an email every time a new episode goes out. So go ahead and do that right now. Tell a few friends about the podcast. Help us get the word out and share with even more people so that more people can benefit from all this great information we're sharing. And then finally, if you're on Apple, go on and do a rating and review because that, of course, is helpful for us podcasters who want to continue spreading the good word, especially here 
on photography for Canon creators. All right. Well, that's it for me. I am out of here and I hope you have a great week and take some amazing pictures. Take care.